0: Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What a promise. That is the Apostle John writing, the disciple who Jesus loved in 1 John 4, verses 11 to 12. And today we're going to talk about that amazing love that God has for us. This is the Living the Word Bible podcast and I'm Sarah Chris Meyer talking with women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. My guest today wrote the introduction to First John for the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, Ashley Crane. Ashley, welcome to the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so happy to be chatting with you today. Well, Ashley, you teach scripture in the lay division of St. John Vianney Seminary in Denver. And I know you've also written quite a bit for the Augustine Institute. You've um, contributed to a number of their Bible studies, like the the Lectio series, maybe to some of their other programs. But as I was reading your bio on the St. John Vianney website, I was intrigued by a line that you wrote. I assume you wrote in the bio (laughs) that you're a lifelong lover of stories. Living out your own adventure, equal parts comedy, drama, and farce. <laughs> that tickled I me. That. <laughs> Tell us about that a little bit. What, what does your adventure look like right now? Who is Ashley Crane? Well, right now,
1: the adventure looks like a whole lot of laundry and counting down <laughs> to the end of the school year. Um, I live here in Denver with my husband, Alex, and we have five wonderful children, and we're expecting number six next fall. Ah. And so they keep life very, very interesting, very exciting, um, and at times very busy. So that that's the adventure. And I try to remind myself to frame it as an adventure because it truly is, even if not all parts of it are the fun, exciting adventure parts.
0: <laughs> well, they get you to a great destination. Sometime? I am hoping so. <laughs> Well, in in between doing laundry and folding clothes and wiping, you know, eyes, teary eyes and so on, you spend a lot of time thinking and writing about and teaching actually scripture. So when did that become part of your personal journey? So
1: I am a cradle Catholic and I, I grew up, I feel like I grew up exposed to Bible stories and I'm very, very thankful to that, to my parents and many wonderful vacation Bible school programs throughout the summer in parishes growing up. And so I, I can't point to a specific time when it's like, aha, this is when I first encountered the Bible. I felt like I grew up knowing a lot of stories, but there was a retreat in high school. I believe it must've been my junior year of high school. I went on a teens encounter Christ retreat mm. in our diocese back in Lincoln, Nebraska and as part of the retreat they gave us each a bible and i probably already had three or four different bibles at home <laughs> that i'd received at different times but at just as part of the retreat experience receiving this bible and then we all had the opportunity to sign each other's bibles with with messages and prayers kind of like a yearbook signing at the end mm-hmm. of the retreat that was incredibly special and that was the first time that i really noticed in myself A hunger for God's Mm. word. And as I remember it, I also, by God's grace, not by my own anything, I recognized that that was a gift, right? That it wasn't, oh, look at me. I'm finally hungry for God's word. Good for me. But I I felt like that was a gift that I want this. I want to know more. So I feel like that was a really important point in that journey, Mm. not the very beginning of the journey, but a really Important point in having that hunger. And because of my attachment to that particular physical Bible and the special context in which I received it, that helped me to recognize a growing hunger and love for the Word of God.
0: You still have that Bible?
1: I don't actually. A few years later, I was uh, traveling to a conference in Kenya
0: mm. and
1: I met a young man who was at the conference. Uh, he was from the Sudan. And his name mm-hmm. was David. His name is David. And we got to know each other a little bit over the week or so that we were there. And he gave me a small gift at the end of the week and I had nothing to give him. I mean, he was, I, I felt like, what What do I have that could possibly right. be meaningful to this young man who has lived through war and horror and is a refugee from his homeland. But I had brought this Bible that I received from Tech. And so I gave him that Bible And that was a hard thing to do. But to this day, I'm thankful that I had the grace to let go of that possession at the moment and pass it on to someone else.
0: Wow. I wish I could hear the other side of that story and know if he still has it. And if he kind of read through all those notes from everybody and saw a little bit of that community that was formed around, you know, your reception of that Bible, and then it was extended to him. That's really beautiful. It's it's a good memory. Yeah. I hope yeah, to find really out lovely. the other side
1: of that story in heaven.
0: <laughs> so obviously that was a very important Bible to you simply because of how you received it. But did you, in between those years of having it, did you read it a lot? Did it start speaking to you? I know you had a hunger for it, but did it speak to you in a particular way? It kind of in in
1: stops and starts. It wasn't a consistent upward journey to a better knowledge and deeper love of scripture, I, I was not consistent with it. But I, I did continue engaging with scripture. And when I started college, I joined a focused Bible study. Mm-hmm. And and that continued to feed that hunger for God's word and to begin to meet some of those needs, particularly in that community aspect through the Newman Center, through focused bible studies and then especially through a couple classes that uh, one of the priests at the Newman Center and the focus campus director there offered some classes to students uh, and the the first one i took was one on salvation history and i'd grown up knowing all of these bible stories but as separate stories right there's mm-hmm. the story of abraham and there's the story of moses and then there's all these stories about jesus and i felt like i knew a lot about those stories But the salvation history class in college was the first time that I saw them all put together as a big picture. And Mm. that I I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that that was life changing for me to see how they all fit together, to see how Jesus is prefigured in the Old Testament um, and to begin to see just a very little bit how that story actually belonged to me too, right? That's the beginning of my story and not just a history of something that happened.
0: A long time ago. Unpack that a little bit. I mean, it's it is a beautiful thing to get to know that overall story and to know that it all fits together and it's not just some kind of random thing, but how did that affect you personally? Why was it life-changing?
1: It was life-changing because instead of just intellectually knowing that the Catholic faith makes sense and what the church Mm -hmm. teaches is true and that God is trustworthy. Instead of just having those as being ideas that I agreed with, I saw how that was demonstrated by God's actions throughout history. Mm -hmm. began to see just kind of a preview of, because there's only so much you can do in a semester long course, I began to see that preview of how God had so carefully prepared his people for the fulfillment of his promises and how all of that plays out in and through the life of Christ and his sacrifice. And then, because this was taught in the context of our Newman Center, and it it started with kind of this really extensive Bible study on salvation history. And then the next semester, there was a course on the teachings of the Catholic Church, kind of a basic doctrine and dogma kind of class. I was immediately then able to see, um, through the priest who taught that class, how all of these things that we read about in scripture, right? This is why the church teaches what she teaches about everything. And so that really helped me to see, okay, so this is personally meaningful for me. All of the rules about how to cut up a cow for sacrifice in Leviticus, (laughs) uh, right? Where everybody, or at least every time I tried to read through the whole Bible straight through, you know, if I made it to Leviticus, I was lucky and I never made it past Leviticus. All of those (laughs) rules are, what does this have to do with me? But I began to see, at least in a general way, that, well, that's how God prepares his people to understand the nature of sacrifice and the reality of sin. And then all of that makes sense when it's fulfilled in Jesus. And then that sacrifice is made present to me and for me in the Mass. So that combination of scripture and then immediately going into an explanation of the teachings of the church, that really helped to make it personal for me and to give me that assurance. and. I think especially in college, we need that reassurance that you know, this all makes sense. It's not just because I believe it. There's, there's a reason for my faith in this. It's reasonable to believe all of this.
0: So then how did that translate into you deciding to spend your life studying and teaching scripture? You know, was that an easy jump? Was that a quick thing? It, it ended up being an easy jump but it was not really by my
1: intention. Hmm. I I majored in psychology in undergrad. And I decided toward the end of my undergrad, that the direction I wanted to go with psychology was really the much more kind of hard science, neuroscience, biopsychology. And I decided that at the very end, after having taken as few science classes as I needed <laughs> to graduate. And so I was hoping to get into a PhD program for neuroscience. And I was not qualified for that kind of graduate study. And so finishing up undergrad, I didn't get in to any of the places that I applied, um, which was a very humbling experience for me. (laughs) And I didn't have a backup plan. But I'd gone to focus conferences all through undergrad and at that point they were much smaller than they are now. And they were all out in Denver. And I'd heard a lot of these, you know, people who are important in the founding and running of Focus, who'd also started up this brand new graduate program called the Augustine Institute. And I'd heard them speak over the years. And I thought, well, I could go get my master's in scripture. That would be a good thing to do while I figure out what I am supposed to do with the rest of my life. Yeah. What I want to do. And so I moved from Nebraska to Denver to as far as I thought, just spend two years doing a Bible Mm -hmm. study while I figured out what I was really supposed to do with my life. And then during that time, I met my husband, I found out about the lay division out here in Denver, I discovered a deeper love for scripture and the teaching Mm. of the church than I'd ever had before. And I found out, oh, this is what I am actually supposed to do with my life.
0: Mm. Lovely how God would use, you know, something that you might have seen as first, um, you know, a, a downside, a f- setback in your life. And he used it to further you into the direction that he wanted you to go. Yeah. And maybe that is makes you more fulfilled than you would have been otherwise. Absolutely. I am thankful
1: for those many prayers that God did not answer the way I wanted him <laughs> to answer them. His plan was better.
0: So I'm thinking about all those materials that you've written for, particularly the Lexio program, the Augustine Institute, as some people may know, has a series of Bible studies and they all come under the umbrella of And you have, you've written a lot of the material. The writer of the material is kind of in the background a little bit. So it might have Dr. Edward Sree or, you know, somebody else as the, the speaker on the videos, But a very important part of those studies is the written materials that people take home and it guides them in reading through scripture and answering questions and coming to a a kind of a knowledge of it. Then that gets augmented and completed by the lecture. So what was the hardest part of that writing for you?
1: By far, the hardest part of all of those writing projects was writing reflection and discussion questions for those materials.
0: So it's not not so much understanding what the book was about. I'm sure that was a a big thing, too. But the hardest part is writing the questions. And why is that?
1: I'm not sure why it's the hardest part. I think part of it is the responsibility of trying to help someone engage with Scripture. I, I mean, there's certainly a challenge to the teaching aspect. But I feel like I can have a lot of confidence in that because I have really good sources to go through. I don't have Mm -hmm. to come up with the answers to what does this passage in scripture really mean, or why does the church teach this? Because scripture itself explains that, or all of these doctors of the church and the fathers and the saints. There there are people smarter and holier than I am who have the answers, and I've been given really good resources to go look for those answers to help put people in touch with those answers. So. I feel like that's much more black and white. But when it comes to writing questions to help kind of provoke that reflection, that discussion, to be part of inviting people deeper into scripture, that to me seems much less black and white, right? There's no one way that people engage with scripture. And so it's also such I feel a heavy responsibility in a good way, but a heavy responsibility, because if it's not a meaningful question, if it's something that it, it can't just be yes or no, if it doesn't resonate in some way with a person, then that's that's a missed opportunity to develop a personal relationship with God through scripture. My mom, for my entire life, my mom has always reminded me that I am not the Holy Spirit I have to remind <laughs> myself that in writing. Like it's not ultimately up to me whether someone grows deeper in their relationship with God through this, but I don't want to get in the way of that. And probably all of us have had experiences in in a Bible study or a book club or a class somewhere with questions that are just a dead end, and they don't help us go deeper into the material. And I I don't want to get in the way like that. I want I want people to encounter intimacy with God in scripture. And that's a hard enough thing to do when you know the person directly. Like when my husband and I try to help our children do Mm -hmm. that in various ways, that's hard enough. But to do it for a broad audience when you know really nothing about that audience, I think is much more challenging.
0: Well, I love that approach. And I guess the reason I'm asking these questions is that. It would be easy to approach scripture as simply an intellectual exercise, and you can do a lot of studying and read up on all those, you know, all those different resources that you're talking about and have these phenomenal teachers, but then you're essentially focusing on their word instead of the word. And so your job, as I see it, and I've thought a lot about it because I've done, actually I've worked with you on some of those, (laughs) but our job, I guess, is kind of to teach them how to fish in a way, as opposed to simply feeding and to come up with questions that help people to encounter the Lord in Scripture and to get a relationship with Him. And so just the fact that you said that makes me think that you have personally Found, you know, met Jesus in the word and you have a relationship with him. So I wonder if there are some things that you do when you're reading scripture that then you apply to writing your questions that maybe could help some people who are listening just as they're reading, you know, First John or Genesis or something. Are there basic principles that they can apply so that they can come in better contact within the words of mm-hmm. scripture? That That's a great question. I think one of the primary
1: things that I try to do when I read scripture is is to get past that intellectual part of it, right? And that that's my own personal temptation and my own personal challenge, because I love the intellectual part of it. And it would be easy for me to make it all about the head knowledge. And so I mm-hmm. find that I have to particularly ask for the grace to get beyond that and go for the heart knowledge in scripture, go for the relationship and the deeper love um, and, and look for that, and not just get caught up in oh, what what does this Greek word mean, and all of those things that I find fascinating, but are not really mm-hmm. the end goal. And something that I found really helpful in doing that in scripture is to pay attention to the different senses of scripture. You know, the the literal sense. What is it actually saying? What is the author's intention? Obviously, that's that's foundational. We mm-hmm. need to be looking for that. But then also to be looking. Not just at that context, but then even deeper. Okay, what does this say to me? Because mm-hmm. if I truly believe, as scripture says and as the church teaches, that it is the living word of God, that it is inspired, that I am encountering Jesus Christ in every single word of scripture, then it has to say something to me personally. Um, and the church talks about that as the moral sense of scripture. And so I, I try to focus on that, especially in my own prayer. With scripture, and then when I am trying to write discussion questions or reflection questions, uh, you know, it's not going to be much of a discussion when it's just what does, you know, why does the author use this particular Greek word for love in this passage? Right. Or you know, those are interesting discussions that that academics like to have, but they don't always lead to a deeper relationship. And so, so more so to focus on that moral sense of okay, well, the author has said this. And the Holy Spirit wanted the author to say this to me right now. So what does this mean in my life right yep. now? I, I try to be intentional about focusing on that in my own reading of Scripture, in my own prayer with Scripture. And then I find that, that that usually seems to lead to the best kind of questions, to be an invitation to realize this passage of Scripture is personal to you in some way. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that way is necessarily but can i help you can i give that invitation for how to think about it how to how to meditate on scripture in that way
0: well i want to i want to mention as an aside that we have a number of short videos that explain exactly what you're talking about in a bit more detail and i will link them on the episode page in case people are interested in finding out more, because really what I want to talk to you about is then how you have applied that, for example, to 1 John, which you wrote um, the introduction for in the Catholic Women's Bible. So I'm going to take a brief break just to hear from our sponsor just for a minute. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the love of God and how it is shown in 1 John We've been talking today about encountering Jesus personally in Scripture, and what better guide could we have than His mother? Mary had a deep relationship, not only with the Word made flesh, she also knew the written Word. Her Magnificat is bursting with Scripture that she was just then learning applied to her Son. You know, when I struggled as a new Catholic to pray the rosary, it was eventually Mary who led me patiently through the mysteries one by one, teaching me to pray them while also introducing me to her motherly love. Do you wish that you had a closer relationship with Mary? And maybe you've struggled with praying the rosary as well. West Coast Catholic has some beautiful rosaries that may help, like the ones in the brand new Mater Nostra collection, each one designed after a beloved Marian apparition. West Coast Catholic is a Catholic lifestyle brand that desires to bring an essence of heaven into your everyday life. Through their intentionally designed home goods, lifestyle products, and prayer tools, they inspire their customers to deepen their faith and fill their lives with the beauty of the church through a modern aesthetic. You can shop at westcoastcatholic.co, that's dot C-O, not com, and follow them on Instagram at shop.wcc. Ashley, when I was reading your introduction to, to the first letter of John, you described that letter as an invitation to come to know God. You were talking a little bit about that just a minute ago. And God being basically unknowable, you know, it's really yeah. hard. We can't see him. As I read in that verse at the beginning, we need help to know him. But John's goal is to help us to know God and to see him. And there's something that you said. You said that that John kind of sums up who God is, along with all of salvation history, actually, in two images or phrases. And do you remember mm-hmm. what they are? yes. Yeah,
1: John focuses on the revelation that God is light and God is
0: love. Light and love. Yeah, two really powerful images. So how do those help us to understand who God is? They,
1: First of all, I think that they help us understand who God is best when we remember that this isn't John simply thinking, okay, how can I how can i explain god to someone and then john comes up with this great idea oh he's like light and he's like love but rather this is how god himself chooses to identify himself to us to reveal himself to us hmm. and and also and this is something that i'm i'm constantly trying to kind of shift the order of my thinking in this but and it's really hard for me to do but it's not that so there's this world And there's light and people love each other. And so God says, all right, that light and that love, that's how people are going to understand me. No, it's, you know, God precedes all of that, right? God is eternal and he creates light and he creates our human nature and our capacity for love in order to have this way to reveal himself to us. And so Hmm. as I'm, I'm reading and thinking about what John says about the nature of God and who he is. I'm constantly having to try and readjust to, to put God at the beginning as he's supposed to be and think of everything else from that perspective rather than, and I, I hope it's not just me. I think it's kind of automatic to us as humans to switch that around and think about God in relationship to these other things rather than God as the source and the beginning and the sustainer of all. And and really, for me, that's the, the deepest part of John saying that God is light. Because what is light? We don't really perceive light as its own thing so much as it's by light that we see everything else, that mm. we experience everything else, that we know everything else. And so talking about God being light, uh, at, at least for me, and I'm sure that there are many other ways to... To explain this and unpack this, there's not just one way to approach this understanding of God. But for me, understanding God as light helps me to remember, okay, I'm supposed to see everything else in relation to God,
0: to strive,
1: to cooperate with uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and especially with wisdom, to see from God's perspective, to look at my life, the joys and the challenges, to look at the problems in the world to look at you know, even the laundry, to look at that through the light of God, to see that through his eyes. What is what is that in relationship to him? Therefore, what meaning does it have? And so, so first of all, I think one of the things John is saying is that God is the source. He is the beginning. And we can only really see and understand reality when we see it in that proper relation to God, just as we can only see the shape and color of things in the
0: light. So we have at the beginning of Genesis, you spoke about the beginning a minute ago, and it made me think the first thing he did, you know, God said, let there be light and there Mm -hmm. was light. And yet he is light. And that light was only a reflection of him or is something like him? Because he has to be greater than what he created. Yes,
1: yes. It, it reveals a little bit about him to us, just even in the natural order of things.
0: And what about, so what does it say in 1 John about God being light? You know,
1: the, the focus really seems to be even more on love, but John does talk about walking in the light. So the kind of the, the first part of his letter, he talks a little bit more about God as light, then the second part, he talks a little bit more about God as love, in First John chapter one verse five. He says, "This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you: that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all." Mm. Following verses, John's talking especially about sin and how if we want to be in God to say we have fellowship or communion with God, then we need to reject that darkness of sin and be totally transformed in the light of God. And he has some really, really encouraging and hopeful words about how ready and willing God is to forgive us when we confess our sins. But he's also very strong on, we can't deny that we have sin. We yeah. can't deny our need for a savior. So I see there that He's talks about God as light. And there's also this, this emphasis on truth, that that light is the truth of who God is and who we are supposed to be in God, living a life, Conform to him in imitation of him walking in the way that he has walked, which John also says.
0: So if we find ourselves in a place of darkness, that's not of God. It's not of God and it's not what God wants for us. And it's not what we're for. So God is light and God is love. How, How do they help us understand who God is in his essence? If he's someone that we can't see. Or maybe a a better question might be, if we can kind of enter into that mystery, because we can't see him, but we have these images, these ways of trying to understand him by things that we can see and comprehend, like light and love. How does getting into that necessarily change us in response to that?
1: I think most of all, it changes us by showing us how much we need to be conformed to God, and this this is a really important point that John makes all throughout his letter. That you know, we can't say that we have fellowship with God if we're walking in the darkness. Right? It's not just an mm. idea about God being light, but it means something about how we're supposed to live our lives. And then John also says in chapter two, verse three, uh, "By this we may be sure that we know Him if we keep His commandments." And then he he builds on that all throughout his letter that how do we how do we really know that we know who God is that we know him in that biblical sense of knowing him in a relationship how do we really know that we love him more than just saying that we do all of that is by keeping his commandments living in a way that is in accordance with his light and his love and this isn't the first time John has said this right he even says in chapter two, verse seven, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment. Mm -hmm. Everything John's saying in this letter, he's simply repeating what Jesus said throughout his public ministry, but especially at the Last Supper. And so one of the things that I love most about the first letter of John is that it seems to be John's own really beautiful, powerful homily on the gospel that he's already written especially Hmm. Jesus's words at the Last Supper in chapters 13 through 17 of John's gospel. Everything that he says in his letter is reiterating and building upon what Jesus said in those chapters in the gospel. And so John can just refer to these things that the Christians already know. They already know that God's commandment is to love one another as he has loved us. And so John unpacks that and helps us to realize That's how we know who God is. That's how we know that we are really in a relationship with him and Mm. living the life that he wants us to live when we are following that commandment, not only by saying that we are, not only by saying that we love our neighbors ourselves, but by actually living that out in every aspect of our lives.
0: Yeah. And it's such a temptation, isn't it? To kind of straddle the two worlds. So yes, God, I will do what you want in this, but I'm, I just think this particular thing is better for me right now. And thank you very much. I'm going to keep on doing it. But according to that light darkness analogy, we're kind of in the shadows at that point, you. (laughs) you know, and if we want to truly walk in the light, which also leads to goodness and health and happiness and joy, we need to step out of that darkness and step into the light by living the way that he created us to live. Mm-hmm. So it's, it sounds harsh, but it's actually liberating because it helps us to live in light and in joy.
1: Yes. And, and John even says that he's writing all of this so that his joy can be complete. Mm. Right? His joy as his an Jesus's, apostle, is, as a bishop, or John's. Well, yeah, Jesus says it in the gospel, and then John says it at the beginning. Oh, he repeats letter. it. This is so that my joy can be complete, so that you can know this and live in this freedom as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that, that that's an important point, because that needs to be at the heart of any efforts of evangelization that any of us participate in. It, we're we're doing this not to win arguments, not to win points in, in some kind of grand score, but Our joy will be more complete when others know this truth and find freedom in living according to God's love.
0: Mm -hmm. So there is something else that you said in your intro that I wanted to draw attention to because I I love this. You said that God's love gives us a reckless boldness to love regardless of the cost. Mm -hmm. Why did you say that? And also I'm interested to know if you've experienced that. Well, I don't feel I can claim to have already really
1: experienced that reckless boldness, but I I hope for it more and more. John says in his letter that perfect love casts out fear. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't have that right in front of me. I think it's in, in chapter four, the beginning of chapter five, but he says that perfect love casts out fear. And so this love that it's not just something we do, but something of God's own nature, who He is, His grace that he pours into us, as he pours that love into us, and as we let him pour that love into us, then there's not room for anything else. Mm-hmm. We see this very clearly in the lives of the saints. My middle son was just confirmed, and he chose St. Maximilian Colby as his confirmation seat. And St Maximilian Colby, I think is a perfect example of this, that there was no room in his heart for the fear of death because he loved with God's own love. And so he was able to offer himself in the place of someone else Mm -hmm. and, and die for this stranger, die for someone else. And of course we, we see it in the lives of so many of the saints in really dramatic ways. You see it in the lives of a lot of saints and also very, I mean, I hesitate to say ordinary because there's nothing ordinary about this kind of love, but in quieter ways, right? The the contemplative saints who lay down their whole life behind the walls of their convent or monastery in prayer for the whole world because they're so full of God's love. There's no room for fear of what they are giving up in the world and attachments and worldly power or riches because there is only room for that love. And so when I read First John it reminds me that i'm created for that kind of love right and mm. there's there's still a whole lot of room for fear in in my own heart but it gives me hope that i'm i'm created for this god has promised this the lives of the saints are there not as some you know some goal that most of us can never aspire to because the saints are way out there and the rest of us are all down here but they're there to be a beacon of hope look what God's grace can do in the life of anyone. And it's to fill us to overflowing with this love that is his own love. And I take so much comfort in that because one thing that I learned about myself when I became a mother for the first time 12 and a half years ago was that I was not nearly as loving and gentle and patient of a person as I had previously thought that I was. (laughs) I, I I learned a whole lot about my failings and weaknesses as soon as I became a mother and I'm continually learning about those failings and those weaknesses and when I start to think about well, I don't love my kids enough. I don't love my husband enough. I'm not patient enough. I'm not gentle enough. There's this temptation to even a kind of despair. I can't love them enough. I just can't do it. What I see when I am reading First John is this promise of not that I have to love them that much, but that God wants to give me his own love with wow. to love my husband, my children. And I need to continually go back to him for him to pour his love into me. But, but I, I find that to be so incredibly encouraging. Like it's not something I have to figure out how to do from some untapped resources deep within me. But I can only do it if I let God pour his own love into my heart. And then it is with the gift of his love that I'm called to love my husband and my children and and others, right? The whole world, that I'm called to love my neighbors, myself, in whatever situation that happens to be.
0: Well, unfortunately, he has written a love letter to us, right? So we do know of his love. And is there a particular spot in scripture that you might go to when you really just need to hear that love firsthand from him?
1: I... I I would point to the whole book of Psalms. Mm -hmm. Probably not helpful because it's kind of a long book, but especially Psalm one thirty nine. Psalm one thirty nine really gets specific about God's love. And sometimes when we hear God is love, sometimes it can sound kind of abstract um, or even kind of fluffy because we we've so watered down the idea of love in our world. So just hearing that God is love maybe doesn't give us a lot of of tangible points of, okay, well, what does that mean that he loves me? What does that mean for how I love others? But I think Psalm 139 does a really beautiful job of getting into those specifics. Now, this is exactly what it means that God is love, not just in general, but for me, to me, in relation to me, and then how that's supposed to change who I am in relation to others.
0: It's nice because we read the gospel and we hear how much he loves us by what he did for us. But Psalm 139 really gets down to why he loves you and me and each one of us. And I would love to read that now. You might want to turn to Psalm 139 in your Bible to read along. But I hope people will look it up later too. There's going to be a, a brief guide on the episode page on the website to help you meditate on that. But for now, maybe just... Listen really deeply and try to hear this word spoken to your heart, because this is God speaking. Well, it's the psalmist speaking to God about how much he loves him, but you'll hear in a minute. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray together. And we ask, come Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am wondrously made. Wonderful are your works. You know me right well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand." When I awake, I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your personal, individual love and care for each one of us from the moment of conception all the way through our life. And we are so grateful for your word and for the life and strength it brings. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and ponder what you say to us in scripture. Give us the grace that we need to love and to live your word in our daily lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. And Mary, mother of the word, pray for us. So thank you, Ashley, for sharing with the Living the Word community your thoughts on John and God's love and writing and everything else. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Well, thank you so much, Sarah. This was such a joy to get to talk
1: to you today. I talk about one of one of my favorite books, partially because it is so, so small and often <laughs> lost at the end of the Bible. So just thank you for this opportunity.
0: You are so welcome. Where can people find the blog posts that you've written or the Bible studies that you've contributed to? So the Bible studies
1: that I've contributed to and sacrament prep materials, they can find those through the Augustine Institute through their website. I teach for the St. John Vianney Seminary Lay Division in Denver, Colorado. And I've also contributed many articles to their blog. So on their website, sjvlaydivision.org. Uh, there's information to contact me and also the blog which has many wonderful contributors and information about all of the classes that they offer many of which are also offered online so not not limited to the denver area but available all
0: over yes thank you for for sharing that and i just i think you're a wonderful writer so i think it's worth going and looking up some of those articles and blog posts that you've written thank you sarah so well, thank you so much for for joining me and thank everyone for listening. This is Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been the Living the Word Bible podcast. I hope that you'll join us every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's Word. And also join our Instagram community at Living the Word Bible. And if you'd like to get a copy of either the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible or the brand new Companion Journal, they are now available for $5 off each of them and also free shipping. If you go to AveMariaPress.com and use the promo code BiblePodcast, all one word. And this offer is good through the end of 2023. May God richly bless you as you read His Word.
1: This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.